Welcome to The Lucrative Society. I'm your host, Mindy Kniss. And I'm Sean Stevenson. Enjoy the show. I'm here with Sean today and our very exciting guest. We are so delighted to have this person with us. Both of us are huge fans of this person's work, and we're just looking forward to getting to know this person a little bit more in addition to sharing with all of our listeners all the great wisdom and really, really interesting stuff that he will have to share with us. So Chris Voss, welcome to the program. Thank you very much, guys. Happy to be on with you. We are happy to. Very first question that we always begin with, because this is a show about looking at what the intersection is between wealth and happiness. Sean and I, and probably you too in your business circles, know people who are wealthy, but maybe not so happy, and people who are happy, but maybe not so wealthy. So we wanted to look at how you can have both, how you can be both. So for you, Chris, you were a government employee, and now you are an entrepreneur business owner. So I'm really interested in this question, but what is your definition of wealth? Ooh, wow. All right. Um, uh, Wow. Uh, I didn't know that was going to be that hard of a question. I mean, wealth is... Wealth is happiness. Wealth is contentment. Wealth is, I don't even think in terms of wealth, I suppose, it's accomplishing my goals. I mean, you know, uh, I'm wealthy if I'm um, uh, getting about my purpose and uh, enjoying it, getting, getting some stuff done. So, yeah, it's really disassociated from, from money specifically, although money ends up becoming a component when it, you look at it as a means. That, you know, it's jet fuel that powers your ability to help people if that's a business you're in. When I was an FBI hostage negotiator, you know, basically I was on salary and I was, I was enormously wealthy because we were doing cool stuff. I was working with great people. I was traveling all over the world. I had made less then than I make now. I think I'm enormously wealthy for different reasons now. I'm working with awesome, an awesome team. We hear weekly about helping people change their lives and I get to meet cool and interesting people like you guys. So I'm wealthy now for different reasons. So moving from the wealth section to the happiness, what makes Chris Voss happy? Yeah, helping people. I mean, um, you know, having a positive impact on somebody's life. I mean, again, we, uh, on my team, we, we got to be careful we don't take it for granted. I mean, we hear every week from somebody that we've helped them actually change their lives. One, one guy that was we trained with in San Diego just a couple of weeks ago with what we taught him. He went back and negotiated a revenue and equity share uh, deal with his company. He said, this will change my life. That stuff makes me, makes me happy. I enjoy that a lot. Beautiful. I have a question for you based on what you just said. You have many, many experiences of helping change people's lives. I personally you have helped ruin my life, and I'll tell you why. <laughs> <laughs> you have a quote that truly has ruined my life because I think about it all the time, and I want to ask you a little bit more to go into depth on it. You I'm s- scared now. I'm, I'm getting scared. <laughs> like you've never ruined a woman's life. Come on. Right. <laughs> Hopefully for different reasons than what has been thrown at me in, uh, in the past. We'll see. We'll see. So you said you don't rise to the occasion, Uh, you fall to your highest level of preparation. And here's why that ruined my life. I have always thought of myself as someone that can really easily 
go with the flow. Let's say I'm on stage and I forget what I'm saying. Well, I can pick up and just roll with it. Let's say I'm in a conversation. I can talk to people and, and do what needs to be done to get through whatever it is that I'm going through. And I read that in your book and I thought, you know what? That sucks because you're right. And I have had to reevaluate all of these different pieces in my past about, you know what, if I had been more prepared, this could have gone better. It might have gone okay. And the other people out there might have thought, oh, well, that was great, but I know it wasn't great. So could you speak to that concept a little bit and how you got to such clarity? Because that, I love that quote. It's just like, bam, punch you in the gut. Yeah, well, um, so first of all, to, to maybe be able to realize that you could have done things better in the past, um, you had to have made the mistake. Uh, you, you had to have had it go bad. I mean, we, we kind of, when we're teaching negotiation, a lot of times we get in this dilemma of the cart before the horse, chicken and the egg, what's first? I can give you answers, but if you don't know their questions, the answers will blow right by you. And, you know, intent, we, we cause people to intentionally make mistakes in, when we're uh, training in negotiations so that when we give them the answer, they appreciate the answer. So, you know, I, I very definitely believe that uh, our, our mistakes and our errors of the past, by and large, are preparing us for better achievements in the future. So where did the quote come from? I mean, I suppose when I, I did a lot of preparation to become a hostage negotiator, spent a lot of time on a crisis hotline. So the first time I was live on a phone with somebody, it was a bank robber in a bank. I was prepared. I was ready. I just, I just relied on my training. And I, I didn't know that was what really gave me the edge at the time. But then I, you know, I heard a version of this phrase from a Louisiana state trooper. And I thought, ah, all right, let, you know, let me, let's adjust this phrase just a little bit because it exactly hits a mark. And then you start looking around for it and you see it everywhere. I mean, Michael Jordan did a basketball commercial once explaining why he failed so many times in practice, which is why he succeeded in games. So, yeah, you know, you, you, you rise to the level of your preparation, so prepare. Chris, this is a question I feel like you've never been asked. So prepare yourself. All right, here we go. <laughs> when have you lost a negotiation with yourself? Yeah, you know, I probably, I, I don't know of a specific reason. I mean, I suppose if I defeat myself in advance and don't even make the effort, that means I've lost the negotiation with myself. If I'm like, ah, you know, it's a waste of my time and I don't even bother with it. Um, I came really close to that today, actually. I, I, I like pens. I mean, if there's anything I like, I like, you know, nice sort of flashy Italian style pens. And I bought this pen. And it just, it wasn't quite right, you know, it, uh, it's sort of a inter internet-based thing. And I thought about just sending it back or just complaining or just keeping it and doing anything but engaging with the pen company. I mean, it came really close to not even engaging with them. But, you know, I thought, yeah, that's stupid. That violates all of, all of my, uh, my principles that I teach other people. So, you know, and I figured they're going to give me a hard time. That's ah, too bad. You know, we bought it online or, you know, we're not taking it back. You know, it's whatever. They were wonderful. And I almost defeated myself by not making the call. Mm. So I think it probably happens on a regular basis if I, if I think about doing something and for whatever reason, I don't think it'll work and, and I just don't even try. Um, it probably, I probably do it to myself in small ways a lot. So 
from dialoguing with a pen company to the extreme of a human life is on the line. In your career as a hostage negotiator, did you ever lose anybody on your watch and how did you deal with that? Oh yeah, people die. I mean, that's um, the first time I, uh, I worked a case where somebody died um, uh, when, when it was really on my watch. And uh, other hostages had, had gotten killed early on in the game on that one. And, but I'd, I hadn't wrapped my arms around the entirety of the event. And then it was a, uh, the Burnham Sabero kidnapping in the Philippines. I, I write about it in the book. Uh, Guillermo Sabero was executed by the hostage takers early on before we even got our arms around that situation at all. And then at the very end, there was a botched rescue attempt by the Philippine scout rangers. And two out of three of the remaining hostages were killed by friendly fire. I mean, um, it was the first time people gotten killed on something I was in charge of. And, you know, at, at the time, selfishly, um, I took it hard. You know, in hindsight, it wasn't a member of my family that died. I got no business saying, talking about what a, uh, that was a low point in my life. It wasn't my relative. But that's going to happen. And for uh, my boss, Gary Nestor, used to always say, we have the best chance of success. We'll come up with a strategy that gives us the best chance of success. And it was that moment that I realized that meant that uh, we weren't always going to be successful. Rely upon a process. You can't bat a thousand. Just not going to happen. Um, and so I was determined that we were going to get better afterwards. That was when I ended up going to Harvard Law School and collaborating with those guys as a result. But if you're a hostage negotiator and you stay in the game somewhere, if you're less than 10 instances in, in, in their entire, entirety, is a good chance nobody's going to get killed. And you're going to think that everything you touch turns to gold. Somewhere in the ballpark of when you start getting into double digits, you're, you're going to, something's going to go bad. And you have to pick yourself up and uh, be determined to get better as a result. So one of the things we talk about a lot in meetings with our team is that none of this is life or death. You know, because different team members will get stressed about something that's not done yet or something that they need to do or whatever. And we're like, none of this is life and death. But for you in that capacity, it was literally. So how different is your work now? I mean, does everything just feel easy? Because we're like, hey, we're talking about business now. Like, it's not that big of a deal. Yeah, you know, your biggest problem is your biggest problem, right? You know, uh, regardless of what your circumstances, oh, my God, my Lyft driver's late. It's horrible. I'm going to be late for the party. It's a, it's Italian you know, pen. It's my Italian driver. pen is not right. My Italian pen is not working, right? Yeah. Yeah, as human beings, we do that to ourselves. Uh, and, and we get we act like stuff, and which is one of the reasons why, you know, the emotional intelligence of hostage negotiators applies to everyday life because that's how we're wired as human beings. And I, and I do get mad at myself every now and then for uh, you know, being disappointed. I got no business being disappointed in anything. I can, you know, I, before the book came out, I can remember I used to just think, just one thing could go right this week, just one thing. And now you know, the book has gotten a great reception and we're making our choices among good things. So, or it, it, the mere fact that we're in the United States at all. Yes. You know, when I, when I came, when I came back from my second trip to Iraq, not long after I got back, a woman that had put together a meeting for us that I attended 
I found out was kidnapped, uh, mutilated, and murdered. And I was back here, and somebody was explaining their problems to me and how difficult it was. And I remember saying to them, here's what happened to somebody I was with last week. Now tell me what your problems are. Right. So, you know, by and large in the United States, there are some neighborhoods, you know, some of the tougher neighborhoods of South Central LA, you got a legitimate concern about whether or not you're going to get from the front door to the sidewalk. But if you're not really worried about making it from the front door to the sidewalk, you, you got a pretty good, you got a charm life to begin with. Chris, you didn't mention this anywhere in your book. And I couldn't find it anywhere in any of your interviews. And believe me, he has watched them all. Yes. <laughs> Everything. You never mentioned in a hostage negotiation, did you ever have a moment with the hostage taker where you made them laugh? Yeah, interesting question. Um, I don't recall a moment where we made them laugh. No, no, I'm, uh, probably not. What makes you ask? Because I know how comedy can diffuse tension. And so much of your training is about diffusing the tension so they make better choices, right? Right, right. And so I was wondering, like, I'm sarcastic by nature because it releases the tension around me and within me. And I thought, has it ever happened in a hostage negotiator where he says to the guy, you know, I think that would be the way you would do yeah, it. Yeah, that's how I would do it. I'd be like, so are you wanting to get pizza after this or what? You know, like just <laughs> what would happen because I feel like it would possibly fry their brain, but I wouldn't know if it would possibly piss them off. Like, are you, are you really climbing around with me? But I'm just curious if in all those years you ever remembered laughing on the phone in those scenarios. You know, not, not with the bad guys and, and, uh, I'm just searching my mind too if I know of any any of the guys that I work with ever ended up laughing with the bad guys either. Um, I you know it's I don't think so. I mean I don't think so. So we want to go deeper on Chris Voss's reality and how you've constructed the life that you have, and we have this awesome question that we ask everybody about: What are you curious about? Like, what do you love studying that no matter how much you learn, you want to learn more about it? You could list off like five to 10 things that you are very curious about. You know, well, I'm interested in, in, in human potential and health potential and mental potential. I mean, there's, as soon as you start looking at it, there's some crazy stuff out there. You know, you, uh, Joe Dispenza, the stuff that he talks about and and his stuff, when you dive into it, it seems wacky, but then you see echoes of it in everybody that's studying human potential. And what, what we're capable of human beings is astonishing and how things work or, you know, and then you, you, you find stuff that if you tell other people about it who don't have an inkling, like the fact that time passes at a different rate where the satellites are versus on the surface of the earth, which is, and they have to recalibrate that or our GPSs would be off by six miles every day. I mean, the idea that I thought, I thought time was a constant, you know, I, I thought Einstein's theory of relativity screwing around with time is just, you know, Marvel comic book stuff. 
And then we not only do we, we know it's there, we don't know how it works, but we have to recalibrate our satellites so that I can get to the right house on my GPS. I mean, the, the stuff that's out there to, to learn about is, is astonishing. And all of that I find very, very, I'm very curious about learning more about it. That's awesome. Do you ever feel in your work like you have to turn off your negotiator? I know that as speakers and coaches, that's just who we are. And if somebody comes into contact with us and maybe doesn't want to be coached, it's hard for they us. They shouldn't come into contact. Right. It's very hard <laughs> for us to just turn that off and you know act like a regular person. Do you ever feel like you need to turn off the negotiator in you? Or is that just like you're like, hey, it's who I am? Well, it's not that I turn it on or off. It's, you know, you know, do I have the energy for it at the moment? That, that, that comes up, it begs sort of an interesting question. You know, it's your definition of negotiation. To me, it's about having a better relationship with somebody. So if that's my definition, then if I think I got to turn it off, then somehow something's wrong with my de definition. Who do I not want to have a better relationship with? Yes. About genuinely understanding somebody and genuinely, ha you know, have, uh, just having great rapport, understanding, feel, feel like we're close, feel like, uh, you know, we belong on a planet together. So no, I don't, I don't think I, I don't think I should turn it off. I don't think I should ever have to. Now I will tell you that uh, there have been significant others that have not seen it that way. <laughs> <laughs> I can imagine. <laughs> now you bring up a point as when you're answering that, and I want to get into this concept because your work, your book, when we read it, it was so revolutionary, and you talk about a lot of previous negotiating skills and, and teachings that had been out there that maybe don't necessarily work or work as well in the real world. And one of the things that Sean said was comparing your work to when there's a college professor that talks in theory versus somebody who speaks from actual experience. It's a very sometimes different situation, whether it's business, negotiation, whatever it may be. So you I feel like transformed this whole concept of negotiation, at least in our minds. Like it's not I won and you lost in this negotiation. That almost seems like a, a fairy tale way of doing it. Like, oh, we're all gonna feel great about this. But yet we have seen recently in some dealings that we've had, you're exactly right, it works. Yeah, well, first of all, thank you about the for the kind remarks. I mean, I think I'm very uh, I'm hesitant to use the word proud, but I'm very proud of the book for a variety of reasons, not the least of which is a team effort. You know, myself, my son, he's not credited on the book, but he was, might as well uh, be an uncredited co-author. And Tal Raz, our co-writer, is a genius writer, absolute genius writer. Tal is so smart, it's scary. So, yeah, I mean, it, it is kind of, it is theoretically, it's win-win, but, you know, it's all this it's emotional. It's a, you know, ethereal, ephemeral. I'm not sure exactly, you know, the, the proper word to capture it, but you know, if you can find what, what, what resonates with people on a, on a human nature level and what people will do is astonishing. Haven't gotten nothing out of it. I mean, somewhere in the South of the United States or they, they recently finished assembling a Hindu temple by hand with hand carved stones by volunteers same way the Hindu temples were assembled a thousand years ago. And these people did it happily. I mean, delighted to work for years, 
you know, work for a lifetime for no, no compensation because of what they got out of it emotionally. I mean, if, if you can nail what somebody gets out of something emotionally, we can live happily under poverty circumstances or we can be miserable under uh, high net worth circumstances. So you, you begin to change, you change your definition of wealth. You change your definition of compensation. And in point to fact, I don't want anybody to feel like they lost if they dealt with this because they're not going to want to deal with us again. Yeah. Chris, you and I share a personality trait or a, a worldview, maybe. I don't know what you would call it. But you talk about in the book that, and I heard you talk about it in other interviews, that when some personality types are not immediately communicated with, they automatically assume that person must be mad at them. Ah. And I know that I'm built that way. And it sounds like based on what you responded, that you can be that way uh, where if you haven't heard back, or let's say you send somebody a text and it's been a couple of days or a couple hours or whatever the time may be that passes. And you think, well, there's no other way around it. They must be mad at me. Or there's just silence. Right, just silence in a conversation. Where does that mentality come from? And is it a mentality that's holding us back? Well, how many mentalities don't hold us back when we, take ex when we examine them, right? Yeah, there's a laundry list there. But it, it, it partially comes from if, if we're the type of person who uh, we, giving someone the silent treatment is a harsh thing. It's a little bit of what people would call projection bias. You know, if, if I go silent when I'm angry, then that's going to be one of my first interpretations of silence from the other side. Um, or if, if, and this happens a lot. It happened once when I was working with, with Tall on the book because uh, Tall is a, a ridiculously analytical guy. I mean, he's a thinker. I mean, he's got a great big giant brain. He goes up inside his brain. He spends a lot of time there. And I, I spent them, I sent him an email when we were working on the book and I expected an answer. You know, I was wanting an answer. And I, as I recall, it may have been something I, I might have, you know, wanted to change some wording in the book, but you know, you got to be careful with the writers. I mean, you start changing words, that's their baby. They get, they, you know, they get upset. And I sent him the email and he doesn't get back to me. And after about four days, I'm like, oh my God, oh my God, he's tall as furious. I really hurt his feelings. You know, he's angry, he's upset. So I, I, I text him, I reach out for him, I get him on a phone. You know, he's on vacation with his family in Long Island. And he's like, no, I, I'm, I'm not upset, I'm on vacation. He said, he said yeah, well, you, you know, you sound really concerned. What are you, what are you worried about? What, what, you know, how are you so bent out of shape? I go, like, yeah, I didn't hear from you for four days, you know, dead silence. I'm worried about how you reacted. He goes, yeah, you know. It's the same thing my wife's been giving me a hard time about the last few days, too. <laughs> yeah, well, okay. If several of us are thinking you're angry when you're just not thinking at all, you know, maybe that's a hint that uh, you should respond a little quicker. So is, it, is that trait something that is not going away anytime soon? No, we, you know, we, we, as you and I talked about this the other, uh, the other day, uh, the amygdala is 75% ne negative. You know, our initial reaction is going to be on almost anything if we don't watch it to, to do a negative in, uh, interpretation we're, that we're wired to be like that. And unless we're intentionally working to empower and overcome that, if when we go back on uh, in default mode, we're going to be negative. Yeah, I think it also has to do with your family background and the norms that you grew up with. For instance, 
Sean's family was very loud, very boisterous. Mine was not. We were very quiet. So to me, quiet is normal. And for him, he'd be like, are you mad at me? What's going on? Why are you not saying anything? I'm like, I didn't know I needed to say anything. The first week that she moved to the same city that I was, uh, we were driving through Chicago. <laughs> I was just thinking. And she was quiet, Chris. And I thought, that's it. She's dumping me. We're, we're breaking up. This is over. I, I knew it was too good to be true. And then I'm like, you're mad at me. And she's like, what are you talking about? I'm like, you're silent. She's like, I like silence. Like, it was the norm to me. Well, and, and I'm sure at the time you're thinking about what a wonderful guy he was and how lucky you were to be. Even exactly. In <laughs> all these wonderful thoughts, right? Yeah, exactly. It was only one weekend, so yes. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. That's how long it lasted, that one week. Exactly. <laughs> Yeah, Chris Rock says, you know, the first six months you're dating their representative, right? <laughs> right. So it is so Until true. the veil drops. Yes, then you get to the, the reality of life and, and people, which is, which is great. Um, I, what's cool is in hostage negotiation, I think that that has to drop so fast. You just have to drop into, like, truth, emotion, human connection, all these things really, really quickly. Yeah, I, I, well, that's the idea. I mean, then... And actually, it, if, you, if you do that, it doesn't take that long. I mean, we kind of get caught up in our own head. But hostage negotiators dial into people really fast. I mean, it's the same way it was when I was on a suicide hotline, and a crisis hotline to be technically accurate in New York. I mean, they told us that no matter how complicated the problem was, if we were doing our job on a hotline, we were going to be done in 20 minutes or less. Yeah. And like if, if, you're, if, you're, if you're uncluttered, if your head is clear, and you're fully dialing into the other person. And of course, they're communicating with you. They're not intentionally obstructing you. You'll dial into them really fast. So Chris, I have a question for you. You talked in your book about women as negotiators and how they, they often have good skill as a negotiator. Yeah. And I wonder if you could speak to, because if women have the same or maybe different abilities in negotiation as men. But I haven't seen that necessarily translate to things like equality of pay and all of that stuff. Like what's happening there? Are women just not utilizing that negotiating skill that they might have a little more inherently or what, what, what do you see happening there? Wow. That's a lot. Well, while women, uh, we, we've got a fair amount of, uh, if we were to do a qualitative study on it, on our data, our data shows us pretty regularly that women pick this up faster than men do. So first off of is, are they exposed to it or do they want to learn about it? Like one thing that I found enormously frustrating, if I speak to a group of 300 people and it's a mixed crowd, men and women, as a general rule, 10 to 20% are going to walk out with the book. You know, conversion rates are very high. 300 women only, the conversion rates are always much lower. Really? Uh, same day, I spoke to two different groups. One was mixed. When I did my Google talk, I had, I had a bookseller there, and we took 30 books. There were 200 people in a room, and we moved all 30, and the bookseller said we could have gone through 60. I mean, the demand was there. We had a long line when we ran out. They did the same day. I'm, I talk, same number of women. They only took 15 books. Um, I'm at an all-women's negotiation conference. 
the conference paid for books for everybody. Nothing but women, probably three to 400 women in the group. They had the books stacked. They had to walk. All they had to do was pick the book off of the table as they walked out the door. Fully half of the books, which were free, were just left there. Now, I don't, I, I can't explain completely. I can speculate on some reasons why, but it's unmistakable in our data that they're less likely to buy the books. But then the flip side is a woman who does buy the book, how much more valuable is she as a client? She's right. probably an ass kicker. She's, she's a badass. She's got, she appreciates how to get better. Um, the women that come to our one-day training sessions, you know, they're open enrollment. We got no control over who comes. The women are a minority in the room. Everybody in the room is an ass kicker. So women or men, it doesn't make any difference. Women have a tendency to volunteer for our role plays quicker than the men do. Do they? <laughs> um, you know, so what all is behind the demographic? I've, I've, I've had women speculate to me that negotiation, the uh, aura, the mystique of it is it's win-lose. You know, basically Donald Trump uh, is a great negotiator and not that many women want to be Donald Trump. No. So it depends upon what the perception of being a negotiator is. If the perception of being a negotiator, my view is being Oprah Winfrey. And if, if that got out, and the last thing in the world that Oprah would bill herself as is a negotiator. True. She probably, I, if you asked her, she probably would, wouldn't want to say she was a negotiator. She's got to be the best negotiator on the planet. She started with less, 10 times less than Donald Trump started with, and she's got more than he's got. You know, he wishes he had her money. Right. So, and her success and her, and her global influence. So it's a little bit of what is, what's the perception of it and how does that impact as we move forward in the world and women have a better impact on business, where we're going and, and what business is going to be. Yeah. Well, just more reason for us to keep promoting your work and promoting your book, because I think that's so important. That just blows my mind to hear that they wouldn't even pick up a free book. Mine too. <laughs> I want to run after them. <laughs> Don't you want this? <laughs> Chris, we want to know what makes up your reality. And we have a question we ask everybody that comes through this program. And it's important because the listener can then understand how they can create a life uh, with the, the success and the dreams that you've created that's catered to them. It's based on an acronym called HERB, H-E-R-B. And I'll take you through each of them, asking you one at a time. The H stands for habits. What are some of the habits that you have, either personally, professionally, that have created the life that you have today? Well, uh, gratitude habits. Um, I'll make everything better across the board. They make me smarter. They make me more capable. While simultaneously make, making me enjoy it more along the way. I, I learn more. I see more. I pick up more. Um, it's a, it's a, it's an, it's an upward, upward spiral. Um, so gratitude habits, which I have to make, you know, I have to work at to remember cause I get so busy. I'll forget to take the time out to do certain things. Um, I'm, I'm a hard worker and I'm a learner and I, you know, I enjoy helping people get better and I, you know, you got, you got to, you can be, you can succeed without being a learner, but you got to be an extra hard worker to make up for it. I think if you put hard work and, you know, 
coachability or openness to learning, the ability to learn, then that, that's a huge advantage because so many people are not willing to learn, you know, or they only want to learn by experience. You know, who's, who's going to say they don't want to learn? How do you want to learn? If you only learn by experience, you're not very smart. Gotcha. So that moves from H to the E, and E stands for environment. What are some things that you need in your environment, and what are the things that you keep out of your environment? And by environment, I mean your mind, your home, your office, your vehicles, whatever it may be. How do you keep your environment? What comes in, what's not allowed to come in? Yeah, well, uh, I need music. Um, I have found since I've been in Southern California the last couple of years, the more sunshine I get, the happier I am. So, yeah, uh, so I'm, a flower. I'm a flower, you know? I need sunshine. I'm a flower. <laughs> I'm a delicate flower. Mm-hmm. Music, music has got me through a lot for a long time, and it still will for a long time. Uh, so, yeah, I need music. I got to keep negativity up. Uh, I get, um, you know, I intentionally avoid negative people. I intentionally cut them out of my life. Uh, people who want to be argumentative, uh, just, you know, I'll unfriend you on Facebook. I will stop returning your phone calls. I will stop engaging in your nonsense. I, you know, I, I, I don't like complainers, any, any sort of negativity whatsoever. I make a significant attempt to keep it out of my from environment to the R that stands for resources. What are some of the books, courses, programs that really help to develop your success in your mindset? Yeah, well, a couple authors I'm a huge fan of. Uh, uh, I like Stephen Collar's stuff. He's got some books he's collaborated on, and he's got some books that he's written himself. I prefer the ones that have just his name on it. The others are good, but, uh, you know, I like, I like Steven's voice, and he's very much into human performance, and he's an interesting cat to boot. I like Daniel Coyle's stuff. Uh, Coyle's the, both the talent code and the culture code. Readable, smart stuff. Those have had a significant impact. Eric Barker has a great blog called Barking Up the Wrong Tree, and he's got a book by the same name. Eric is fascinated with what he calls the science of success whether it's practical or uh, he, wa- he wants to know what works, which means a lot of stuff that people say is successful doesn't work. He distills information really well. So I, I enjoy learning from him. Um, and then, you know, somebody, somebody refers a book, book to me. You know, I'll take a hard look at it. Um, uh, you and I's mutual friend, Joe Polish. I mean, find out what Joe is reading and ask him about it because he's a wonderful resource of knowledge and ideas and information. Whatever, whatever Joe's interested in is going to be interesting. So I, I like being associated with him. Mm-hmm. Is there one book that is other than your own? Because that's pretty much become our top reference right now. Where it's like, you haven't read Never Split the Difference? You have to go get it right now. Is there one book that is, you find maybe you refer out more than others? There's three that I think I kind of get referred over and over the most and it would be Kotler's book the rise of superman uh coyle's book the talent code and eric barker's book barking up the wrong tree cool let's have to go on our reading list Mm -hmm. so this rounds out this acronym the b stands for beliefs what are some core beliefs that you have 
about human nature or about reality or your existence, or maybe just about business? What are some beliefs that bubble up when I ask you to share some of your beliefs? That people are basically, people are basically good. We've got some negativity wired over us. So we got some fear driven stuff, but people are basically good. You know, about, you know, somewhere uh, no less than two thirds, more like three quarters of the people you run across are not going to try and cheat you. Uh, that still leaves a relatively significant percentage of people that are going to try and cheat you, but they're not, you know, they're 25% max, you know, 25% third, a third max. You know, and that was why when I call this pen company, I mean, the odds are that it's going to be somebody on the other side that's going to be wonderful and delightful and it's probably going to help me. So people are basically good. The, the, the world, the universe, is really is on our side. Uh, if it wasn't, we wouldn't have survived. We wouldn't have made it. So by and large, the, the universe is, is rooting for us, pulling up for us, you know, giving us a break. So it's, it's basically an abundant world. Um, we just have to be careful that, that you know our natural negativity wiring doesn't doesn't override that and, and screw it up. But I think my two and you know and, and there's something something much bigger beyond this planet. You know whether however you define it, um, science is is backing that up more and more all the time. So moving from beliefs to stress management, stress reduction. As a hostage negotiator, you are trained to uh, take them uh, through a process uh, to get the hostages free and safe. And you still have a biology. You still have a sympathetic nervous system. You still have adrenaline. What are some of the things that you have learned that you could share with our listener to really calm the body under times of serious pressure well yeah what are the hacks right you know genuine curiosity is a ridiculous hack i mean it puts you in a whole another mindset where for whatever reason what you're stressed about kind of goes away um so it you know depending upon the mood you know which one i may need to rely on whether or not i got to be genuinely curious or Find a middle of something, and I know the process that I've got is going to work. And if I get bent out of shape, I just just rely on the process. Um, gratitude is a hack, you know. Reminding yourself that that by and large uh, you're in pretty good shape, and w- almost all your problems are first world problems. Nobody in my family, you know, nobody got killed today, nor are they likely to get killed tomorrow. So absent those issues, um, live in a pretty blessed life and most of the rest of it is relative. I think that's super helpful to keep in mind constantly, consistently. Chris, you had so many things going on. You're doing trainings. You have your book that's been wildly successful. You have a weekly blog that comes out, all these different things, speaking engagements. And I want to know what's next for you on the horizon. Yeah, we're going to be more active globally. Awesome. We're going to figure out how to, you know, the books in 30 countries. We're going to, we're going to crack the code to either doing our own uh, training sessions internationally or an idea that just I uh, got exposed to recently was about simulcasts, but doing them really well. So we, we got to 
we got to do, uh, we got to go global. And uh, there's a few people living in Scottsdale. We got to get to uh, cooperate with us and collaborate with us a little bit more. And we got to figure that out. It's going to be a tough sell. It's going to be a tough sell. <laughs> For those of you listening, we are working with Chris to train our whole team, which we are very, very excited about. Chris, have you ever been optioned to have your life be a movie or a television series? Yeah, well, that stuff goes and comes. I mean, Hollywood is just this marshmallow candy, <laughs> cotton candy, nonsensical place. So, that you know... It's gone and come a couple of times, you know, and it'll probably come up again. I think I've recently run across someone who can actually deliver. I mean, the amount of wasted time in the inter- Hollywood and the entertainment industry astounds me. I don't, I don't want to think that they're any dumber than anybody else is, but uh, my evidence is that they're terribly smart. That is awesome. Now, if our listeners are interested in learning more about you, we highly recommend everybody right now go to Amazon, get the book, Never Split the Difference. It was amazing. Get 10 copies. a million copies. We actually have sent it to people in our membership. Wow. Thank you. We we are huge promoters of this because we believe in it. Because, and I don't really rate five stars on Goodreads very often, but... I did for this one. Uh, thank uh, you. Other than the book, Chris, where can our listeners learn more about you and what you're up to? Yeah, we got a newsletter that comes out once a week. It's short and sweet. Uh, it's just got one article in it. You know, some newsletters, you get seven articles. By the time you decide which one to write, read, you're exhausted, right? <laughs> so it comes out on Tuesday mornings. It's short and sweet. Plus, we got it's a gateway to everything we have. We got training announcements. It's a gateway to a lot of free content. We put a lot of free stuff out. The newsletter's free. There's some stuff we charge for. And we are not cheap. We are expensive. So you want to take advantage of the free stuff when you can. So the simplest way to subscribe to the newsletter and and the text to sign up function only works inside the United States. But it's uh, send a text to the number 22828. 22828 is the number. The message you send is FBI empathy, all one word. Don't let your spell check put a space between FBI and empathy. Shoot that out. You get a dialogue box back and you'll get a concise, actionable article every Tuesday morning, plus information about the rest of our programs and content that we have. Perfect. And we will put all of that in the show notes as well. Thank you to all of you who are listening. We appreciate you. And Chris, thank you so much for your time, for your wisdom, for your experience and sharing with us and our listeners. We totally appreciate you. My pleasure. Thanks so much for listening. Make sure and subscribe to The Lucrative Society on iTunes and leave a review of the podcast. For more information on our programs, visit our website at lucra.com. That's L-U-C-R-A dot com.